Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Join us as we explore Tolkien and all the ages of Middle-earth with your hosts from TheOneRing.com, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Welcome, everybody, to this brand new episode of Exploring Tolkien. I, I am Jonathan Watson. I'm here along with Michael Grumbine and Daniel of the Awesome Hat Coats. Uh, and I hope last week you enjoyed our little detour into the Torque Inquisition with, uh, with Ted Naismith. That was a fun conversation, mm -hmm. even though I don't know if you noticed it, but it was broken up into two weeks because the internet died for Ted in the middle of our conversation. And so uh, I was going to say something about it, and I'm like, you know what? That, that, that edit actually worked out pretty well, so we just went with it. Yeah, the second, second half was, uh, was actually really fun. Yeah, yeah, we really enjoyed that. It was great to have him on and looking forward to his, his upcoming book of all his art where he's actually said he's going like, to even put in like, some of his kindergarten art. Like the, like his early early wow. art is going to be in there, so it's pretty um, awesome. Yeah, that'll be great. But this week we're back onto fairy stories, or as Tolkien wrote, on fairy stories. We're back on fairy stories, onto fairy stories. We're on fairy stories, guys. The second part, the third part. We'll see how far we get. But first, I want to, guys. Um, that's a nice hat both of you are wearing. Tell me, tell me, where did you get that? <laughs> we got that from theonering.com or shop.theonering.com perchance it's yeah. uh it it is they're they're wearing hats that say make tolkien great again in is it is it it's Tang, tangmore the tangmore, tangmore is the script tangmore. yeah it's a it's a script um yeah. it's the elvis script but but uh we are it is the coolest hat ever because it is pretty much guaranteed we'll, we'll i'll do like the when i was in, living in england they have these mill this um uh, milk that it says virtually fat free it doesn't say 99 percent. it just says virtually fat free so you are virtually <laughs> guaranteed to not have anyone understand your hat when you walk down i'm going to test it out i'm going to go to the airport tomorrow awesome I don't know if the airport's a good place to maybe i should go to a bookstore or something no, but no, uh it's good yeah and i will uh i'll go to a bookstore in an airport and then we'll see we'll i'll walk around. but i don't think anyone in the history of this hat is ever going to know what it means which is fantastic it's a it's a good conversation starter. I've already mm -hmm. had like five people ask me, what's, what is your hat? And then I get to explain <laughs> to them and it ends up in a conversation of why the rings of power suck. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's great. It is the natural end to all oh, Tolkien yeah. conversations in 2023. <laughs> uh, the rings of power was nominated for Emmys, by the way. Did you guys know that? Mm. Yeah, I think I they're, did. All, they're all technical Emmys. That's, that's kind of like us getting nominated for our thumbnails. So. <laughs> wait there are thumbnail <laughs> nominations right, right. i know right that's kind of what it is like the content guys doesn't matter but boy that that background that you have looks great so i don't, <laughs> I don't know funny speaking thing. of backgrounds i'd like to point out that every single one of us has the tower of baradour uh, other one in our in our background um i don't know if there's any connection with this because we're talking about the origins of fairy stories but hopefully not so he's saying all right. Yes. So if you want that hat, go to shop, shop .com, Uh and uh, there's a discount you can get if you become a member at thewandering.com slash members. And um, uh, you'll also get our extended podcast where we talk a little bit more about the important things of life. Well, actually, the important things of Tolkien. Life doesn't really matter. It's all about Tolkien. Um, and get access to our Discord chat where you can ask questions, where you can converse, converse with people. It's a, it's a little lighter now. I think everybody's on vacation, but um, but there's still some... 
uh, some interesting memes that are being tossed up every once in a while, which is, which is a lot of fun to actually look at. So anyway, yeah, go to theonewing.com slash members to, uh, to join us there. It's $4 a month. First month is free. So if you don't like it, you know, move on. And, and we're okay with that. We, we appreciate that. Um, all right. So, um, Dan, I think um, we do have to start with, with this today. Dan's Big Thoughts. It's kind of a throwback to the long ago when we were reading through the Silmarillion, those many moons ago. Like, <laughs> About you know, last week ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but Dan, like, uh, you, you texted something to Michael and I, and we were both like, uh-huh, that, that might be it. So I think you should read that text to us and as, your, as your big thought. I think it was, it was clear enough. Yeah. Yeah, so reading through what this part of the essay is on origins. On origins, that's right. We're doing to, on origins, everybody, yes. Yeah, he's trying to say, what are the origins of fairy stories, right? And so my text message to you guys was, uh, please tell us about the origins of fairy stories, Mr. Tolkien. Tolkien, no. <laughs> and so it, awesome. it just kind of seems to be, you know, <laughs> you're reading through this essay and you're like, oh man, where does fairy stories come from? And he doesn't really seem to answer that question, I don't think. <laughs> well, we're going to get into it. Uh, he, I don't, yeah. I agree with, I agree with you. He doesn't, he definitely doesn't give a clear answer. I do think he gives us some, some. I mean, his answer is well, basically it, it can't be answered. It that's comes. Answer. I think it comes from soup. I think that's what we're saying, yes. right? Yes, it's a, <laughs> it's a soup, a stew, a stew, as it were. And in in honor of that, in a reference from this section, I also reread the Juniper Tree from the Brothers Grimm, which was awesome. I don't know the Juniper Tree. Oh Sorry. boy, oh boy. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you some selections from the Juniper Tree because Tolkien references it, but uh, oh, it is. Okay. It is the dark kind of dark that people criticize the Brothers Grimm for, and it is awesome. Wow. Horror. It's horror. Well, uh, so where do we start with this? Because if he doesn't define the origins of it, right, you, I think uh, the, the word is uh, where he defines it from what it isn't, mm-hmm. generally speaking. Although the, the via negativa. The vi, via negativa. Where does that come from? You've said that's, that la- that's Latin. It just means uh, the way of the negative. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just wondering if it was like, a, like Plato or somebody anybody in the past it's 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 philosophy yeah it's okay it's it's an aristotle and aquinas thing so so what so maybe we start with like do is there any way that that like you know dan pointed out like reading it the first time you're like no he doesn't actually say a fairy story is this i think again it goes back to what we we talked about the last time we went on fairy stories is that he talks about the features of it but he doesn't Mm. say what it is it's kind of like saying um, it has ears. It has a trunk. It's got some pretty big legs, but he never says the, the like, it's, uh, it's an elephant and comes from the jungles of Africa, right? Uh, he just kind of says what it is. Yeah, and he starts out by talking about people that try to discover the origins of fairy stories. But he said what he, he says basically they have a problem because he says they are the pursuits of folklorists or anthropologists, that is, of people using stories not as they were meant to be used but as a quarry from which to dig evidence or information. So he's saying the people that try to figure out what the origins of fairy stories are, are like, they're just trying to figure it out sort of in a, without actually looking at the stories as they are. And presumably to what Tolkien means is we can, we can learn something about what the origins of fairy stories are from looking at them as they were meant to be consumed, um, which is a very interesting idea. Um, not just, you know, as an historical exercise, but as an historical exercise, he starts out by saying, here's what it's not. It's not just 
a bunch of a few um, common stories that are all the same story. So he, he says Beowulf is not uh, a version of uh, I don't speak German. So dot dot Erdmanneken. Erdmanneken. Sorry. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Or the Black Bull of Norway and Beauty and the Beast or the Norse Mastermaid and uh, is the same as the tale of uh, Jason and Medea. So he's he's saying as is his want, here's what it's not. It's not that um, Shakespeare's King Lear is not the same as Laomon's story in Brute or the Red Riding Hood. And he even says, interestingly, he gave an example. And this is one that I used with my, my children when we were talking about fairy stories, even the ones that didn't read this essay, mm-hmm. as my high schoolers did, um, which is that the story of Red Riding Hood has been told and retold and softened and made more saccharine in the telling as it's been retold um, from its ancient past um, through Brothers Grimm and then on to what we now, you know, Little Red Riding Hood story. And what's interesting, what I find interesting is that Tolkien says that, um, and I'll quote, the really important thing is that the later version, that is the later version of the story of Red Riding Hood, mm-hmm. has a happy ending more or less, and if we do not mourn the grandmother over much, and that, uh, and that Peralt's version had not, and that is a very profound difference to which I shall return. So what he's saying is basically these are two different stories. And what's funny is that the modern story of Red Riding Hood is that even the grandmother doesn't die. So, so right. in his time, you had Red, Red Riding Hood, and they had sanitized it to the point where Red Riding Hood doesn't get eaten. She gets eaten by the wolf, but, but then cuts out of the, gets cut out of the belly and is saved. In the modern version, both her and the grandmother get cut out of the wolf's belly and are saved. And so nobody gets eaten and only the wolf dies. Or sometimes the wolf doesn't even die. He escapes and, and, and you know, is driven off because violence is bad or something. So, so um, Tolkien's point is that, though, these retellings actually change it. They're actually not the same story. They're, right. they're, they're different stories. Why? Because their end is different. Yeah, well, and I think cool. he says that earlier in the in the a line right above where he talks about King Lear, he says it is precisely the coloring, the atmosphere, the unclassifiable individual details of a story, and above all, the general purport that informs with life the undissected bones of the plot that really count. So the bones don't matter as much as everything that's on the bones. The adjectives about it, you know, exactly all the details, but also the purport, and the purport, as the word, no doubt people know it's it's connected with the word purpose Mm -hmm. the purpose of the story which is why the old version of in tolkien's mind the old version of of red riding hood is different a different story from the new version because its purpose is different its ending is different this is very aristotelian this is aristotle said the most important cause of all the causes that you can look to when you analyze a subject is what he called the final cause which is the purpose or the reason for for an action to, that that occurred, and that's and and for Tolkien, he's saying I think that that is one of the most important reasons um, and attributes of the fairy story is the reason why why it is what what is it trying to do what is its purport. So, what is the purpose of Little Red Riding Hood then? Uh, you mean the old one or the new one? Hmm. Uh, I guess either. I mean. Well, what is there? Well, I could call the middle one now, since Tolkien was referring to as a middle one, and we now have a newer one. Um, I mean, obviously, so you have an old version in which Red Riding Hood is naive and gets eaten. Um, right. So she doesn't she doesn't follow her mother's advice, and um, she she talks to the wolf, and then she's naive and 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 gets eaten for her troubles. Um, 
And and so there's a, I think there's a lot of cautionary tale in the old one. The purpose of it is, is and there there was a there I mean a lot of the old fairy stories that were retold for children are cautionary tales, um, mm-hmm. like moral so, tales. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, and, and it's it's what not to do. Like don't do this, yeah. or or something bad's going to happen to you. Um, but sometimes these old tales with horror to lead us to another th- thing that he talks about. Sometimes they are, um, they're not about cautionary tales. Um, the, the, the bad things that happen are not there to tell us, um, why, uh, you know, what not to do. They're there to actually just inspire a kind of horror. Um, and, and in that regard, he references, um, the stew, I'm going to build to this. So the stew, he says, is that this is what, if you want to know what the origin of fairy stories is, it's the same origin as a medieval stew pot, where basically they would throw everything in day after day, week after week, and have it um, on a slow boil and would boil. It would be basically cooking for weeks on end sometimes. And it was the, and, and it would always, it would slowly change flavor and things would get mixed together. And you, what you'd end up with is something different from what went in. And and, and that's what he likens um, fairy stories to. The origin of fairy stories to is the stew pot of history and human human thought, human language, and what and, and the and the meanings. Well, there's other. He, he gets to a very literal example of stew, which is used in the story of uh, the juniper tree by the brothers Grimm, and he uses that as an example of how a fairy story shows from an origin perspective the great distance and time that um that uh, that exists between the real origin of this kind of a story and what we have nowadays um so he says and this is i'm jumping to the end of this section when i say this and so i don't want to skip over everything but just for reference he says the beauty and the horror of the juniper tree With its exquisite and tragic beginning, the abominable cannibal stew, the gruesome bones, the gay and vengeful bird spirit coming out of a mist that rose from the tree has remained with me since childhood. And yet always the chief flavor of that tale, that's just such a bad pun, by the way, chief flavor, (laughs) (laughs) such a great dad joke. I mean, like an off great and awful dad joke yet always, because in this, by the the main element of the, one of the primary elements of the juniper tree is that this boy gets turned into, gets killed by his stepmother and chopped up and turned into a stew. And then she feeds it to his dad unknowingly. Mm -hmm. And so his, and, and so it's a kind of, um, Titus, like, like, you know, and, and the, the, the old tales of like a father consuming his children unknowingly. Um, and she, he says, yet always the chief flavor of that tale lingering in the memory was not beauty or even horror, but distance and a great abyss of time, not measurable, even, um, by, um, Tui Tucson Jor, um, without the stew in the, yeah, that, that means 2000 years. Mm-hmm. Without the stew and the bones, which children are now too often spared in mollified versions of Grimm, that vision would largely have been lost. I do not think I was harmed by the horror in the fairy tale setting, out of whatever dark beliefs and practices of the past it may have come. Such stories now have a mythical or totally unanalyzable effect, an effect quite independent of the findings of comparative folklore, and one which cannot spoil or explain, 
they open a door on capital O, capital T, other time. And if we pass through, though only for a moment, we stand outside our own time, outside time itself, maybe. I, I, I read the whole paragraph because I find this to be really key, He where he's showing us a real fairy story, a horrible one, a one that does, in most cases, inspire horror. It did in me when I reread it, because mm -hmm. upon reading this, I re then reread Juniper Tree. And yet he says what, what he's what he's saying is that it its primary purpose is to tr is to emphasize and transport us to an other time so there, the the elements in the story the horror the, the insanity the wildness the kind of joy the weird the, just the odd the magic mm. mm -hmm. magic mm -hmm. is is something from another time and and we are put in that time when we reread it Right. It's hard for me to, because <laughs> the only, okay, so reading that whole thing, the one thing I get out of it is that one of the aspects of a fairy story is that it is in some ways ancient. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and so that would, that would then of course uh, stand in opposition to what I said is like, could Star Trek be a fairy story at some point? Probably, maybe not. Maybe that like he wouldn't consider those some of those episodes of Star Trek to be like a fairy story. Uh, but distance is part of it, too. So obviously great distance is, is part of it. And I think that goes into some things he says about children, too. Um, yeah, that's a good point. But it's not like it's such a broad stroke to say this is part of what fairy story is without giving it. He doesn't give it any boundaries, right? This still doesn't have any boundaries of like a great distance and abyss of time. Well, abyss of time is very... Like, what is an abyss of time? An abyss of time to a 10-year-old a, a is 25 years, right? Um, and a great distance could be, like uh, like he points out in the children's chapter, a great distance to a child might be uh, the house next door, whereas for us, it's the the planet, you know, a light year with light years away. Light years, however far the beetle juices and planets are. <laughs> um, but uh, so I, I, like Dan... <laughs> I'm looking at this going like, no, there's no definition, guys. It's just like these are yeah. some aspects of it right here. He did say some things um, about myth resembling a fairy story or, or history resembling myth. And he's yep. saying that they're, they're, they're both ultimately of the same stuff that he's talking about this cauldron and stuff is, is getting thrown in right. over time, over generations. And he's kind of saying like, it kind of seems like he's saying like, history and myth seem to be connected in some way. And then he's also uh, something that jumped out to me was he was talking about myth and religion and how perhaps like a long time ago, they, they were severed or sundered and maybe, maybe they're groping slowly back together. And then he says something very interesting to me where he, where maybe this gets to the point where he actually defines it maybe in some way, maybe a small way. But it says fairy stories have three faces, the mystical toward the supernatural, the magical towards nature, and the mirror of scorn and pity towards men. The essential face is the middle one, the magical. Um, I think that was interesting. Those where he's kind of saying, it kind of seems like he's saying this, this stuff comes to us from the past. It's, it's, it's ancient, like you were saying. And it maybe even goes back to the very beginning of, of, of even religion, too. And, and the, the, what, what, what is of the essence of it is that there's something magical about it. 
I, I don't know if that, that I don't know if that sounds smart or not, but, exactly. <laughs> but like, it jumped out to me like, oh, yeah. that's that's he's sort of getting a definition there. Yeah. And that sentence, I have it highlighted. That sentence jumped out at me, too, because I spent a long time trying to figure out exactly what he was trying to say about fairy stories when what one what it's three faces. So clearly they're 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 clear definitions of something about fairy story because a face can be easily recognized. Uh, yeah. The mystical towards the supernatural. What does that mean? Does that mean uh, what is the relationship between the mystical and the supernatural? For instance, in The Lord of the Rings, the, the statement is, is often made that um, there, is, like, there is a supernatural. There is, there is Eru and the Valar. You could say in some ways those are supernatural or ultra natural. Uh, but then there's the mystical aspect of it. And that would be like a Gandalf and the things that happen with that. Or maybe how... Um, Man, I don't even know. Like, I'm, I'm trying to see. And so as I'm reading this, I'm trying to apply this to what he would say about the Lord of the Rings and the stories that we know that he told. Uh, and mm. even that, that one phrase, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how it fits in with his fairy stories. So I don't know. Like, what, what do you guys think about? Like, what does that mean? The mystical towards the supernatural. I think the magical towards nature and the mirror of scorn and pity towards man is a little more easily definable. But the mystical towards the supernatural, that one struck me as I, I don't feel like I have a good answer to, to what he was well, trying to get at with that. Yeah, I, I I think you're you're almost there actually with the examples you gave from the Lord of the Rings. When I look at the Lord of the Rings, which is clearly intended to be a fairy story mm -hmm. um, by him, and therefore will have those three elements that you mentioned, Dan. You see very clearly that that the magical and the natural world are the focus of Lord of the Rings, um, and um, but there's also the story of the corruption and fall of man and the sadness, for example, of the fall of the men of Gondor. You know, when you hear Faramir talking about um, how great they were and what their history was and the, all the hints of the, uh, um, of what they could do in the past and the grandeur and the, and then how far they've fallen. Mm -hmm. You, you see it in, in a funny way, even though I hated what he did, the fact that Peter Jackson made Aragorn doubt himself because of the weakness of men and made Elrond harp on how, how weak and pathetic men are. Um, uh, Jackson, although, and I hated it because it wasn't in the books, but it's mm -hmm. funny that Jackson latched onto that concept because that is a very Tolkienian concept, um, that mm -hmm. there is a weakness in men um, that does not exist in elves. Elves have their own weaknesses and dwarves have their own weaknesses, but uh, we men do have a special... Um, proclivity to corruption that Morgoth and Sauron take advantage of. We read a lot about that. So there is that mirror of scorn that you said, that third element. So there's the magic, there's that. But when you ask the question, Jonathan, what's, what are the, the mystical element towards the supernatural? Well, I mean, these are the, pray the, the prayers to Elbereth. This is the calling right. out to the Valar. This is um, Gandalf and his, and his his frequent speaking about this grander purpose and this purposer, this, who we know we know as a Luvatar. Right. Um, but they're hints. They're not the focus of the story. That's, that's, <laughs> it's, it's not intended to be the, the primary um, um, thing the story's about, but it nevertheless includes the mystical in it. Yeah, and I guess the mystical towards the supernatural and the magical towards nature can kind of overlap at times, even uh, in the sense that something mystical can seem magical, even though it may not be. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, we have been able to have the luxury of reading the Silmarillion at some length, and so we were able to go into depth about what are the, one of the interesting things about the elves, which is that they're bound to the world. Like from a supernatural perspective, the, in a way, 
men are more supernatural than elves because <laughs> mm-hmm. because elves belong to the circle of Arda and this earth and they keep returning to it even though they have magic nevertheless they're bound to the to fairy to the land of the yeah. land of fairy but i even think tolkien would say their magic is like supernature it's the it's it is their nature the mat so but that's it's right mag- it's the magical perspective that we imbue it with but in the sense that the men leave the circles of the world and i, I get and, that yes yeah and they go have, to Iluvatar. yes right. they, they have a more supernatural um end than the elves do yeah yeah. So anyway, I, I, I like that you pointed that out, Dan, because he I think he is giving us qualities like Jonathan said in the beginning. He never answers the question, as you alluded to in your in your Dan's big thought. He never answers the question <laughs> of what the origins are, but he does tell us more about what's involved in the origins. And he really clearly and over and over again links it to language. So he says that that fairy stories are as old as language and probably as complex um, and, and therefore almost impossible to pin down the true origins because they're as old as language. So, you know, tell me the or- the true origins of language if you can. And and I know people take a stab at it. <laughs> it's funny that his takedown of Max Mueller is awesome. So Max Mueller, he, and he says, Max Mueller's view of mythology as a, quote, disease of language can be abandoned without regret. <laughs> he just dismisses the guy. Max Mueller was a very famous philologist, and his point was that be, that, Max Miller thought that um, language came about and people had these abstract concepts like wisdom and justice. And then what they did was they turned those concepts into gods. And that's where we get mythology. Like mythology is just Hmm, our stories about personalized wisdom and personalized wrath and personalized, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, beauty, et cetera. Um, so interesting, but stupid. Um, that's that, that's not actually, and anyone that, that, that studies mythology would know that that's not, most mythology has, like that's the quote unquote yeah. high mythology, but it's not most mythology. Most mythology has got nothing to do with such abstract concepts. They're just folklore stories that have been in that stew pot that Tolkien has talks about over and over mm-hmm. again. Um, and so mythology is much broader and more interesting and kind of more visceral um, than than this kind of idea that like mythology can be equated with Olympus and the gods that live in Olympus. Um, so so uh, anyway, Max Mueller's a, a, a easily dismissed. What I did find hilarious though, I did I did I did see a, um, and I wanted to ask you guys about this this idea that he has really cool idea. And then I, there's a hilarious part, or at least I found it hilarious. Probably nobody else. Um, the incantations of adjectives. Did you catch yeah. that part? I have, yes, hundred percent. Where, where, where it says my favorite lines. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. awesome. So, so to to read the line, it says, "But how powerful, how stimulating to the very faculty that produced it was the invention of the adjective. No spell or incantation in fairy is more potent." Mm-hmm. And he goes on to explain what he means, which is, we can have green grass, and it can delight. But then you can take the greenness away from the grass and you can take that greenness and you can apply it to other things. And this is the first, is this the first time he uses the word subcreation in this essay? Maybe he used it last time once. I don't remember. In my head. He says man becomes a subcreator when he's talking about the use of the adjective. So I, I think it's the first time when he says, he talks about it. And he's going to lean into this concept quite a bit in the essay is the subcreation idea. So man becomes a subcreator. So basically you're doing what God does, which is you're, you're taking 
these abstract concepts and because of the adjective we can take them out of one thing and we can make mm. put them in another and you can have you know you could have a light mountain mm. you know light as in not heavy mountain and you can have pink grass and you can have a terrible blue moon or <laughs> i like this one he says um i think yeah because it's he's he's read frankenstein we may put a deadly green upon a man's face and produce a horror so so you get just by the addition of color into things you can create a new story um so so there's a yeah it's pretty cool i I like the word that that he used when he says we can take green from grass Mm -hmm. um and that's like an enchantment right it's sort of like a, a that that soup pot that except now it's a potion and and you're creating, you're taking the green from the grass and sitting in there, and you're taking the blue from the heaven and sitting in there, and all of a sudden, in a person's mind, you've created something completely new and different that they hadn't experienced before, uh, which is, which at a young age, when reading this here, I didn't get that, that like, this is an enchantment, the creation of something completely new, and then when you say something like cool green grass, like the, the feeling somebody gets, like, it's not just, oh, it's cold, and it's got this color, it's like, oh, no, it's lying down in this grass, on a cool night, right? You get this sort of feeling that you've created an enchantment outside of just those three words that, that, that might be different for different people, but it still is this creation of something completely new for every person. Yeah, exactly. And, and, he, and he, so speaking of his own work, he references or what would become two, two of pieces from his work alone, of course, not exclusively his work, but he says, we may cause woods to spring with silver leaves. So of course you think of Lothlorien with its mm. gold and silver leaves rams to wear fleeces of gold of course jason and the argonauts um, that jason and the golden fleece story and put hot fire into the belly of the cold worm which is the dragon of course so so there's this power and and magic that inheres in the in the and for tolkien this has got to be like a core tenet because he's a philologist and someone who creates fairy stories so he he loves the word and so the power of the adjective it's funny when i was in on my undergraduate in college one of the things we had to read was um, aristotle's categories where aristotle divides basically all aspects of existence into 10 categories of being and one of the categories of being is quality so Aristotle, it's an ancient Greek idea that there was an existence to qualities like green or hot, hmm. cold, light, heavy. They had an existence that was separate from the things in which they adhere. And um, so it's, an inter- it's a really, really fascinating, fascinating concept. Dan, you were going to say yeah, something he- earlier when I cut you off. Oh, that's okay. Um, yeah, just I love how he ends that paragraph that you're discussing with the power of the adjective. And like you said, it's like taking these things and combining them, and it's like you make something new. And he says, uh, but in such fantasy, as it is called, new form is made. It's almost like a godlike thing. You're making something new. Fairy begins, man becomes a sub-creator. And I thought that that was, and, and that, that was kind of interesting. It seemed like the main point that he wanted to make with the whole, he was discussing the theories of, um, of where where did what's the origin of fairy stories and he, he talks about different theories of of, of diffusion and um independent yep. evolution of invention he talks about inheritance mm-hmm. from common ancestry like maybe these all go back to one common story he talks about right. diffusion from various places at various times but he says like ultimately they all come back to somebody had to invent this somebody had to be a sub-creator 
And it, that seems to be his main point that that so, somebody's subcreating. <laughs> yeah. So so what he's doing there with, with the three terms you mentioned, invention, diffusion, and inheritance, is he's he's tapping into the 19th century scholarly mode where the, when they were dis- yeah. when they were when they were trying to discover the origins of something in history or in language, they would try to say, OK, well, what's its origin? Does someone just create it out of is it? What we would call nowadays, is it really original or, or did you just borrow it? OK, so so if it's is it original, in which case it's invention or is it uh, inheritance like you got it from a long time ago and it's just a retold version of what was a long time ago? Or is it diffusion where it comes from different sources in, in place or around us and you've combined them into an, into something that is, quote unquote, new, but it's not really new. It's from these sort these other sources. And and like you said, Dan. Invention is the most important. When it comes to fairy stories, the word for invention is subcreation. Mm-hmm. So that's the real that's that's the that's where the connection becomes between those those scholarly concepts that he's referencing because he's a scholar. You know, he has to speak the language of his peers when he's taught yeah. when he's writing an essay like this. So he's he's connecting their ideas and methodology to his new idea, which is subcreation. So when we're talking about subcreation, I, I just had this thought. It's not just creating a story. Subcreation is creating a world. Mm-hmm. It's like you you are creating a whole nother parallel universe. Like like maybe he would say, maybe Chesterton would say Elfland. Uh, yes. Tolkien might say fairy, um, but it's it's creating a whole nother universe that that man is entering into. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. And and he's going to go more into that in this in the next section on what he the section called children, but it's really about a third of his questions that he's going to answer, which is what's the purpose of fairy mm-hmm. stories. So right now we're talking about the origins, but he's going to go into what the purpose of them is. So mm-hmm. so thank you, Dan, for that. That clarified something. So I see three things that fairy stories are now. One is ancient either through a great a distance or abyss of time is the way he put it Two, it creates a world it takes the green from grass so to speak and it, and it creates something new for those who are you know believing in it and i think it uh i, I anyway i'm gonna uh, in the next chapter he talks about um how even a big fan of cricket is sort of living in a subcreative world and we can talk about that later but i love that little analogy that he made like <laughs> he's so awesome. into it like he's experiencing something completely different than he than the person next to him is experiencing who's not into it and three um it has to have a purpose is that right the, like is there like purpose or i don't know if that's the right word for it i think it's right no it has okay. it has to have a purpose the the hard part is deciding what the purpose is sometimes yeah and 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 because it's a, because the method by which fairy stories come to us is a stew pot, mm-hmm. therefore the purpose can be multifaceted. You can actually have multiple purposes because it wasn't like the people that did the subcreation at various points in the fairy story throughout the centuries. When um, wasn't like they all had the exact same purpose all the time. It, it's actually it's a more organic process than that. It adds things to itself and it, it aggregates ideas. And so what we have at any given moment the fairy story we have in front of us could in fact contain all kinds of purposes. Mm-hmm. Tolkien's fairy story is different. And, and he would say this. I think he would say this. I think this is a natural consequence of what he's telling us. He's talking here about the origin of fairy stories in general as a phenomenon, but, but purposeful subcreation at a single moment in time, like Tolkien did with his whole world, that's 
something a little different because while he definitely took elements from other fairy stories and myth and mm-hmm. um, and history he and and so he did the cook he did the stew pot thing in yep. Nevertheless, he's a single author of Middle Earth. He is the author of Middle Earth. He, I don't think, he, and if he did say this, I would disagree with him. If he was to say that, that you're not allowed that, to do that. Are you oh, serious? Yeah, yeah. You're not Sorry, allowed. No. I just kind of wearing the hat, just because <laughs> okay. he, he he was cool with languages. Um, no, but he if if he were to say, which I don't think he would, but if he were to say that he wasn't that um, the that there were purposes in his story from other places and times um, that he didn't, and, and that, that, that he wasn't in some sense really the author and the, and the purposer. I think in, in a case like a fantasy novel, if it's well done, it's an actual fairy story, and Tolkien's is, of course, then there is, in fact, you can, you can tease out the full purposes. I don't think you can tease out the full purposes of a story like Red Riding Hood because it, it's a, it's a stew pot effect of so many others. You could tease out some, but you could never get to the point where you're like, "Yep, and that's it. That's the, these. That's the purpose of this right. story." Um, I, I just think it's Tolkien would say it's too. Um, uh, there's too many flavors. There's too many bits and pieces of bone and 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 meat and different mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. In, in the stew pot. Some of which you don't want to touch, and some of which are delicious. Yeah. Well, I I, I like that, guys. I think this is clarified a lot for me like when, when it comes after reading it um those three things i'm going to try and try and highlight that um and okay. the whole idea of the distance and a great abyss of time just real fast i think in our extended podcast because i think we're going to close this out early and we're going to go into the children's chapter next uh for next week but um the the idea of um you know a fairy story needs a distance and a great abyss of time and when you draw the real world closer to the fairy story in that distance, whether by your writing and adding, you know, a modern colloquialisms into it, um, it, it, it minimizes the effectiveness of that fairy story. Does that make hmm. sense? So when you mm-hmm. have people in the rings of power say, okay, that's you like, even that little small word doesn't, doesn't resonate w- with where it's supposed to be or when it's supposed to be. Um, anyway, just a thought. I like it. I like maybe, it. That's, maybe we can get into the extended podcast. We can talk about like what did why why are things like what did the Rings of Power get wrong in fairy story? What did even Peter Jackson get wrong about fairy story? And and kind of muse on that a little bit, knowing like talking about the things that we see now and here. Um, well, and I have a um, I have a comment, a mm-hmm. Rings of Power comment about that. But we will talk about it in the extended podcast because it has to do with the adjective as incantation mm. and how and how. Um, the people that write Rings of Power don't understand that, and what they do something Tolkien for Tolkien would be kind of mortal sin in in, in the writing of fairy stories. But oh, okay. Anyway, we'll we'll get into Sweet. that. All right. Well, let's let's close this origins down. I'm gonna I'm gonna say again those three things like that are important to even focus on. And I don't know if those are all, the only three things, but three things that I took out of it. And again, you guys can all disagree with me because hey, we're reading something and trying to figure out as we go. Uh, it has to be ancient and have a, a distance and a great abyss of time, or ancient mm-hmm. is another word. Uh, it creates a world. It uses adjectives in that way and, and creates something new that we believe in a, and we experience as subcreated universes places it doesn't have to be a whole universe but a place and it has to have a purpose of some sort that um is definable it can't be nihilistic yeah i think yeah yeah i like that um yeah you know, we'll, we'll maybe we'll get into banana peels too in the extended podcast <laughs> because that was funny <laughs> but yeah a quote about banana peels and the archbishop of canterbury yeah, yes yes all right so but, it has to be it has to be magical as well it has to be magical yes right those three things yeah. you mentioned too the um 
uh, the um, mystical towards the supernatural, magical towards nature, and the mirror of scorn and pity towards men. But yes, the magical part, right. And the magical part, part of that is like using those adjectives magically, I feel like. Like creating yeah. something that you wouldn't, right. like a light mountain, like you said, Michael. That's something that we wouldn't go and look at a mountain and go, that looks really light. But when you say a light mountain, it starts, you start, you, within the context of whatever, whatever way that's written, right, that, that, that creates something new that you might not have experienced just looking at a mountain out your window. Something like that. So, all right, Michael, today you have uh, the, uh, the, the, the privilege, I guess, of doing. <laughs> if you like talking. All right. So if you like Tolkien, um, I like this for two reasons. Um, but uh, he, this what we have here. If you like Tolkien, you will like, I think, um, Tolkien's Beowulf translation and commentary. Now, this version that I have here, which is really cool, um, also has uh, Selic spell at the end of it, which is cool. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But basically, as most people who like Tolkien know, Tolkien taught um, Beowulf in, in his Anglo-Saxon language and um a literary, literary course at Oxford, and he would famously come into class um, in the first day of classes chanting um, Beowulf and, the, and, and basically chanting the first essentially four pages of Beowulf in, in Anglo-Saxon, and, <laughs> and, and which is awesome. But his interestingly, um, what we often forget who loved Tolkien's um, secondary world is that Tolkien was a first-rate scholar, and not only a first-rate scholar, but his translation of Beowulf is actually regarded as one of the top two scholarly translations in the world right now right. of of Beowulf wow. still a hundred years later or almost a hundred years later. And so, and, yeah, go ahead. Is the, is the other one, the Seamus Haney one? Have you read that Might one? Might be. That yeah, one? yeah. I have that one too. I've read that one. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really that, that, that sounds familiar. Um, and so he, so this, the, he had never intended, he didn't publish this. This is Christopher Tolkien's work, just taking his father's class notes and the translation. His father had a translation of Beowulf yeah. um, and publishing it. So Christopher did this. And then the final note I'll say, if you like Tolkien, is it has this really cool thing. This version has a really cool thing at the end called Selig Spell, where Tolkien does this awesome thing, very much related to what we've just been reading about on, in, on fairy stories. And I'm going to read um, what uh, Christopher Tolkien says. Basically, there's only one general statement that, uh, by my father about his work Selig Spell that I have found. And it is the following very rushed note in pencil, difficult to read. And so I'm going to read you just one section of Tolkien's note about his own story. Selic's spell is actually a recreation of Beowulf. So Tolkien, but, and this is, Tol this is Tolkien, this version is a story, not the story. It is only to a limited extent an attempt to reconstruct the Anglo-Saxon tale that lies behind the folktale element in Beowulf. And then he goes on and he says, um, of course, I, we do not know what precisely was the style and tone of these lost old English things. I have given my tale a northern cast of expression by putting it first into old English. And by making it timeless, I have followed a common habit of folk tales as received. So he's referencing the process that we just read about in On Fairy Stories and the Origins of Fairy Stories which is that people would take these tales and they would retell them and it would go into the stew pot. And so he's saying, what would Beowulf might have, what might have Beowulf have been like if it, in the era hmm. before the one that we know about, if it was this proto tale of Beowulf and what, what might the elements be? And so he writes a Beowulf, a shortened version of the Beowulf story in old English 
um, in in uh, huh. Selic Selic spell, which Selic spell itself is a quote from um, a line in Beowulf. And it means, it, a, a Selic spell. Yep. Go ahead. It means wondrous tale. I had to look. Yes. That up. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, uh, check it out. It's like he's, you, like uh, you know, he's dipping his ladle into the soup of Beowulf and pulling out a slightly different story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and don't look too closely at the bones sticking out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was, that's right. That was another thing in this chapter, too, where he said spell means both the story told and the formula of power over living men. Yeah. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And, I mean, this is this is so critical because we think of spell as an incantation. We, we, it's that second meaning of spell that we emphasize nowadays. He's pointing out, hey, that's not wrong, but it's connected to this older idea of this wondrous tale told. So if you can tell a wondrous tale, you have told a spell. And it you have binds cast men. a spell over the you audience. You cast a right? spell and men, you, buy, you can <laughs> bind men's hearts. That's right. Man, okay. Well, guys, all right, we are, we're going to jump into our extended podcast but first hey if you enjoyed what you're hearing please give us a review on um ipod ipods wow apple music i don't know what are <laughs> two, we doing here two, apple two thousand kids doing these days yeah oh my gosh <laughs> two thousand four calls jonathan at once right. it's apple podcast spotify google podcast everywhere you listen that would be great we really appreciate it and if you want to hear more here our extended podcast this week get in our discord chat as usual please go to the wondering.com slash members become a member first month is free that's just four bucks a month or if you want to do more like harrison and adam and lynn and chuck uh there are sponsors who give a little bit more in order to support us and the costs associated with us uh and we really appreciate them all so let's jump into our extended podcast guys we're going to talk about the extended uh, or the rings of power peter jackson and banana peels that'll be fun we'll see where it goes oh and michael what do you usually say goodbye freeloaders okay so I, i got a note from somebody that said, you know, they listen to the whole podcast, and the last thing that they hear is "goodbye, freeloaders." It's, <laughs> it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of an affront to the person who's listening the whole time. <laughs> I think it was, it was, it was said in jest, but <laughs> well, we appreciate but all you freeloaders, all you people who listen through the whole way. Definitely, definitely, um, the bread and butter here of uh, of the listener group and uh, we appreciate that bread and butter meaning like um, not 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 the full sandwich, just the bread and the butter. Like we're not. Am I digging myself into a deeper hole here now? The the stew pot. You're you're throwing yourself in a deeper stew pot. (laughs) All right. Bye, y'all. We're just going to go to our extended podcast before this hole gets any deeper and I reach China.